Welcome to episode 53 of Reading Between the Reels. I'm Craig Dickinson. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're a new listener, we're so glad you found us. If you've been enjoying the show, please tell someone about us. Send a tweet, post to Facebook, write a view in your favorite podcast catcher, or just recommend the show to a friend. Today on the show, I am joined by Anthony King from Force Ghost Conversations. Welcome, Anthony. Thank you so much, Craig. It's a pleasure to be on the show and to talk about this masterpiece of a film. Right? Yeah, today our film is Man of Steel, which personally, I don't understand why anyone would think it's not a masterpiece, Anthony. I uh, I agree. I, I, I don't understand the criticism towards this film. I've heard all the complaints you could possibly think of over the years. I just don't see it. And yeah. um, I mean, I, I can talk at this point. Uh, if you would like, I have a story about how I actually came to watch this film. So I think hopefully my example can be to others as to maybe go into this with open eyes. And, yeah, and so absolutely. So we're, we'll just transition into our overall thoughts, which we kind of already started. But yeah, <laughs> please, please tell the story. I mean, that's perfect. That's natural. Let's let's do it. So let, I, I guess we should start in 2006 with Superman Returns, the, the preceding film to this. And I saw that in film in the theaters and I absolutely hated it. Now, no offense to Brandon Routh, you know, the, the Donner era of Superman, that, that line that they're continuing in that story. You know, if you like it, that's for you. But that just absolutely wasn't for me. Right. I went from seeing Batman Begins the, the, the year before to seeing that. And that just it did not connect with me whatsoever. And I just had such because of that experience, I had such an adverse reaction to anything superman that i wanted nothing to do with the character whatsoever so in my whatever that created in me i avoided man of steel like the plague i wanted nothing to do with that film i wanted nothing to interact with the character at all i was a nolan guy through and through give me more dark knight dark knight rises and then as far as i was concerned that's where dc ended for me i was <laughs> Uh, I think I wasn't even in the st I wasn't in the states proper when Man of Steel even came out. I was uh, I think on a vacation for three weeks, so I missed like the entire theatrical run, or f I would say a good chunk of it. Right, the the release date in June, I was not here for that, so I missed all the the excitement and the hubbub and the social media pulls that people were having. I know Facebook was. I remember seeing a, a couple of Facebook posts from people saying how incredible it was, and I was like, I don't know, it's Superman. I can't. There's nothing I relate to about this character. It's it's boring. <laughs> um, so fast forward to 2016. We're talking January 2016, right? BVS is two months away, and I had a heart to heart with my one friend. I was in the middle of college, by the way, so I had a heart to heart with my one friend there. And I was telling him, like, yeah, I really only watch the Nolan films. Those are the ones that really speak to me true and true. And my friend said, you know, Anthony, I think you just need to go in with some open eyes, fresh expectations. Give give it a, you know, a fresh, a fresh look at it, right? So I said, okay. We had, a, of course, we had a library at our college, and I rented the DVD of Man of Steel from there. And I had a job at, at college at the time. I worked as a desk attendant, they called it. So basically what that means is from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m., I got paid to sit at a desk and make sure people checked in their guests when they came in, which during the week, Monday through you know Friday, there wasn't, or Monday through Thursday, I should say, there wasn't a whole lot of traffic coming through. 
So basically, it meant I could either do homework or watch movies at that time. So I was sitting at a desk, literally watching, getting paid to watch movies for the most part. And Man of Steel, I was up at 1 a.m., decided to put, it, put this film in, and boy, I couldn't fall asleep the rest of the night because I was just enthralled with the story. It was everything that I wanted in a film. It spoke to me at the exact right time that I needed it to. It, it, I, you know, I, was, I was struggling with like who I am as a person. It's that formative time in your life where you're at college and you're like, what in the world am I doing here? Very, very similar to the themes and, and questions faced for Clark Kent, Kal-El in this film that just spoke to me. I really resonated with the character and the portrayal that Henry Cavill had. The script that David S. Goyer wrote is, is immaculate, and Zack Snyder really does a great job putting it onto film. And I became a, a huge fan. I went into BVS loving that film, absolutely another masterpiece. And then I've continued to no, do nothing but fight for Henry Cavill in the Snyderverse since. So that's how we got to here. That is amazing. I love that story. I yeah, I, I love that you have a totally different take on this than I do. I mean, you're significantly younger than I am. Uh, I, I'm a kid of the '80s, mm -hmm. and so I grew up with with Christopher Reeve's Superman, and I remember it being on ABC frequently. I didn't see right. it in the theater. I'm not that old because uh, <laughs> it's oh, 78, so I I didn't I didn't see it. The, I saw the second one, Superman 2, in the theater, mm -hmm. but I saw it several times on television. It's the first DVD I ever bought. Loved that film. And I used to say, until Chris Reeve dies, there's there is no Superman. Like I disavow oh, right. Lo Lois yeah. and Clark and even Smallville. I was kind of like, yeah, I'll kind of watch it, but I, you know, I was loyal, hardcore mm -hmm. to to Christopher Reeve. And so I had the opposite reaction to Superman Returns when it when when it came out. I was super excited for it when the you know the the opening credits and the you know the John Williams score comes on. I was like, I'm mm -hmm. six years old again. This is fantastic and. You know, that movie has its flaws, the pacing issues for sure, um, but it still has two of my favorite Superman moments ever. The the airplane rescue and sure. him getting shot in the eye and it just bouncing <laughs> off and that look that he gives. And at some point I want to do that film as well as um, Superman the movie because I still love that movie. And, and, but but Man of Steel, Superman's always been my favorite. He's been my favorite character. My favorite comic book character always has been because I just grew up you know, with that where it was him and then in 89 it was Batman. And even then it was like, yeah, but I'm still a Superman guy. I'm still, I'm still a Superman guy. And so when he finally got Man of Steel, I was excited for any new Superman at all. Mm -hmm. And and I just remember, and I know there's people have issues with it, but I, you know, it's a lot of emotionally, like you cannot, you can't argue that, like how you felt watching the movie. You know, you, you kind of talked about that too. And I just was blown away. I was just so just caught up in it absolutely you know, I, I just love the story i love the music and i'm again i'm a williams guy through and through but i love hans zimmer score which we'll talk about and i loved the i thought the choices they made were very brave mm -hmm. uh, and some of the things which we'll get to and i just loved it i just remember thinking and this was you know short before well the the nolan trilogy had had concluded at this point but i just remember my my one big thought was i love this movie and i think it's as good as dark knight and that's from that's one of my highest praises. I I think Dark Knight is the pinnacle of comic book movies, but I would Absolutely. put Man of Steel right there. I would 100% agree. I mean, so. where they differ, they they I think they highlight each other. Frankly, I mean, you can tell the threads are there that Nolan. I mean, he's a part of both. So I mean, right, him and Zimmer. So it's like <laughs> the yeah. threads keep continuing. 
And and I know I talked to Dan about this and, and he didn't want to come on because he knew he'd trash it and kind of puncture our vibe. <laughs> but he also was like, you guys are just going to love this movie so much and you're not going to have another voice. But I mean, it's kind of the way it is. Like, I love this movie. So that was a unequivocally, hard. you're not going to hear a negative opinion from me throughout this entire episode. <laughs> um, I, I spent so much of my I mean, I spent enough time hating this film <laughs> that yeah. without without any cause either. I, I guess I just got s- swept up in the Internet of it, too where for a while there there was just such a disdain against this film that i was like why would i even watch this if it's similar to to other stuff and then thankfully i had a a wonderful friend that that uh helped me to see the light um so i guess my my advice to people at home is you know watch this again with fresh eyes maybe check your nostalgia at the door uh that's another big one i would maybe recommend to, to folks uh just try it again fresh eyes see what happens and, you know, the older I get, the more it's I, I just have an appreciation of the fact that art is subjective and not everyone's going to like the same things that we like. But mm-hmm. it, it's it's still legitimate. If, you, if someone loves it, great. Oh, absolutely. And I would say, too, I yeah. all that disdain that I had for Superman Re- Returns is out the window now, too. I've, I've much more come to appreciate that film right. over over the years. Uh, I think actually watching Man of Steel helped me to appreciate that film more, too, because I, I appreciated the the. The jumps that it tried to make. Right. Cool. So uh, let's let's talk a little bit about um, the cinematography of the film. Let's get into some specific things that we like or, or noticed uh, finding meaning in, in cinematography, composition, color, camera work. What are some examples of, of that that you that you found on this watch? Well, I think first and foremost, what stands out to me is the camera work of it all to begin with. It's it's all shot as if it were handheld. So it's 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 got a shaky approach to it it gives us a film overall a real world documentary style and i like that because it grounds the film in the concept of if we were to drop superman in our world in 2013 right then and there what would happen and just it's the cinematography of it all plays to it as as well just in how it is shot the compositions of course uh, i mean of course that's probably one of the biggest criticisms as it's it's dark it's gray it's all that but you know, I, I literally wrote down every color that I could possibly see when watching the film, too, to kind of combat some of that. So there was definitely a lot of blues, oranges, grays, whites, green. There was some northern lights in, in the in the in the sequence when they're up in the, uh, up, uh, I assume, northern Canada, Alaska. I, they didn't really pinpoint exactly where it's at. Um, but, there's, yeah, there's a variety of colors. Now, I get that some, you know, it, it does linger. You know, the Metropolis battle clearly is, is a bit darker because... There's a lot of debris and smoke everywhere, so sure. <laughs> naturally there's going to be some darker colors there. But like the flight sequence is just nothing but bright colors. Uh, I think that's all really great stuff. I mean, I could, I have a full litany list here of great compositions uh, that are arranged throughout the entire film. Some uh, some examples I want to highlight here is like specifically like the whale going overhead when he's uh, in the in the water there after the oil rig sequence. Um, he does this look towards the sun and and the way that he puts his fist towards the ground and you start to see the um, the the rocks move around as he does first flight there. I mean, that, yeah, I had that goose, on my list. Goosebumps too. just even thinking about that one. I mean, of course, we it would be remiss to talk about a Superman film without the religious aspects uh, of it all too. Where I mean, there's literally a scene where the Clark's in the church talking to the priest or pastor. I mean, depending on whatever denomination you may be 
with the imagery of the stained glass window of Jesus behind him, literally. So, I mean, there, I mean, of course, him falling out of the ship and almost being like on a, uh, as if uh, Jesus on a cross there, too. Uh, one of my favorite ones, too, is the kind of the dreamlike sequence on the Kryptonian ship where Zod and him have that conversation. And he's literally being smothered by uh, the the skulls, I guess, what, what Zach would later refer to as in, in BBS is like a callback with the Day of the Dead sequence where he's being smothered by uh, the folks in their in their face painted skulls, uh, all that. So that is really great. Of course, I think the the last one I want to really uh, pinpoint as a specific example of great composition in this film is the after Clark destroys the world engine in the South Indian Ocean, as he's regaining his strength a little bit, the sun starts to poke through and he raises his hand towards it. Just chef's kiss. That is brilliant. Brilliant work there. <laughs> yeah, those are all great. I had I had a lot of those a lot of those too. Um you know, you mentioned color. I want to point out that first. Um that there's an extended Krypton sequence in this that is so different than what we had seen prior to to this. Oh like yeah. The, oh the, yeah. The, the Donner films, it's very stark, very white, and it's austere, and it, and it works for that world. But there's just beautiful earth tones throughout. Like, Krypton is an amazing place. And you feel, and I've heard Zack Snyder talk about this, dude, like, it, it's more tragic that way because mm -hmm. it seems more alive, right? It's not like, like, you lose that Krypton. It's like, yeah, those guys, I don't really identify with that. It's kind of hard to connect. But this Krypton, which we get for, like, 20 minutes, it's a really long sequence. Mm-hmm. You get to know Jorel. You get to know Krypton a little bit more, and so when it blows up, you're, you know, it it hits you emotionally a little bit more. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> so some other things I wanted to point out um, was that you you mentioned the the kind of the handheld thing, which is great. There's a lot of other. It's super dynamic. Camera moves all over the place. Not not just kind of the herky jerk thing, which was kind of jarring at first. I I will mm. admit, first time I saw it in the theater, it was like, okay, I'm not ready for this. And then okay, after a while, I I got used to it. But it follows the action frequently. It, like the fight through Metropolis, you know, flying through the buildings is super dynamic and engaging, as is first flight, as you mentioned. Yeah, I, right? Lots of snap zooms, which is always kind of fun. Absolutely love that. The, the way that just zooms in right away. First flight is probably the best because of that, right? Where he's flying amongst all these different landscapes and and creatures, animals, right? Just yeah. It makes me smile just thinking about it. Right. A couple of things, other other things I want to point out was I, I really like the use of of the bird's eye view looking down from the Black Zero on the destruction it's causing. So you have a lot of vertical mm. shots during that sequence. It's really disorienting, as it would be if you were there. But it's very engaging. It's just one more way to kind of pull you in and and, and give empathy toward the people yeah, sympathy yeah. Toward, uh, that are going through that. Now, one thing that I I noticed this time, and I've always seen it, but never quite try to identify what was happening there is there's a great extreme close-up of a butterfly yeah yeah and it's like right before he kind of reveals himself and so you have this image of like this butterfly is new and has become what it's supposed to be very much like you know clark is now taking on the superman persona so just i mean it's, it's everything's intentional I, that's the, the biggest thing i want you know in any of these films that we do is look for the intentionality in these things absolutely and and to to talk on the the butterfly effect a little bit more too is uh there's that butterfly sequence in zack snyder's justice league after superman is reborn and he's literally playing with the uh the butterfly back on uh at the the farm 
Nice. Yeah. Again, great through line all the way through. Yeah, I love these films so much. Dang it. Um, <laughs> I also I also love always the uh, after he emerges from the wreckage in Smallville and there's this close up. It's like the camera's on the ground essentially, and you see his boots and then his cape kind of swirls around. And right before you know, with you the doom doom. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting chills. And Hardy's like, the, you know, this man is not our enemy. Yeah. That yeah. scene. So love it so much. Um. Sorry, guys. This, this is not going to be a very critical episode. It's it's going to be a love fest, but it's going to be a love fest. Um, you already mentioned the music a little bit. So, do you have anything else for cinematography, or do you want to talk about sound? Are you ready? To- oh, let's move on to sound because yeah, I I will put on the soundtrack very frequently in our household. Um, I have it on vinyl. It was nice. a great day when it finally came out on vinyl. I've been hunting that one down for years, and then. Yeah, I play. I I mean, at work, I just almost probably just have it on a loop, just listening to the soundtrack over and over again. I, when I work out, I listen to Flight. Right there, there's nothing better than this this work. And um, I guess I'll just go into soundtrack since I'm on it. All right, go for it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but Hans Zimmer is on another level with this movie, and the Superman theme is just magnificent. If you ask me, the the two piano notes, if you will. But what I like about the theme is that, and, and I'm, I'm not comparing it all to John Williams, That's that, that score is fantastic as well. It's perfect for that iteration of the character. and you know, But for Henry's character, one that is a bit more grounded in the real world that we live in today, this, this score is perfectly in line with what they were going for in this film. What I like with that theme, too, is... There are very different variations of it throughout the movie where if they want to be more emotional, right, they use the piano notes, right, very soft and quiet. If they want to be triumphant, they'll bring in the horns and all of that. If they want it to be more dramatic, they'll just use the American steel guitar, which I think is a great uh, aspect to this film. It's like, really, they thought through every detail possible. They thought of, like, what is the most American-esque instrument possible? And they went with the steel guitar. I mean, who... <laughs> That's about as American as it gets, frankly, when you look at the etymology of the instrument in a way. Um, so that's that's great. And of course, we've already talked about, I mean, I hate to break it to the listeners at home, but we're going to talk about the flight sequence a lot, I think. And <laughs> I've already talked about that, but I think that is probably some of the best music ever created. That's that, that sequence. I've talked about already how it inspires me to both work out, but also if I need to pick me up at the office, if, I, if I'm feeling down on myself ever, I think about that song, I put it on, I, I blast it. It gets me through anything that I possibly need to. Um, so that's great. Some other songs specifically on the soundtrack that are just stellar to me is Launch. Um, and another one, too, is If You Love These People, which is basically the last fight between Zod and um, and uh, Clark Kent through through Metropolis. And those are both just really astounding pieces that um, I, I would honestly say this is the best of Zimmer's work, in my opinion. If you compare it against all the other wonderful stuff that he's done, so the Dark Knight trilogy, BVS, Dune recently. Honestly, I think this is what stands out to me the most is this soundtrack because of the fact that there's so many uh, dynamics are involved in in the the soundtrack of this one. As compared to others, I don't necessarily think that Hans Zimmer uh, utilizes dynamics too well. It's very loud. It's very in your face. It's either super quiet or it's super loud, right? there, There's really no in between, whereas this one, there are, it goes along the sliding scale, if you will. And I really appreciate that about what Han is doing, Hans is doing in this film. Yeah, that's a great catch. Like, it is a really layered 
theme. Like the, like you said, there's there's so many different ways that you can use it, you know, with the different instrumentation and that's fantastic. I, I really love, especially I think the piano is the thing that, that just gets me, you know, and then it just builds into the drums. And like now, every time I watch this, now I have to watch all of the credits until, and at least until the symbol shows up. Cause I just got to hear that song yeah, in yeah. its entirety, uh, which you don't get initially, which I love this time. I noticed uh, when he, when he saves the bus, it starts to build, but then mm. it kind of peters out because it's not his time yet. And I just love that that use of light motif. It's very intentional because you're waiting for it, but you know it's not. And then you have that in, in the scenes that follow shortly after. It's not your time yet. Exactly to do that. Um, I also love, I love Chris. I've always liked Chris Cornell. So oh my gosh, I seasons, forgot about it. yeah seasons. Yeah, oh. just all of a sudden, just like okay, this is what we're doing. I just came out of nowhere. First time I saw that, I'm like. I'm getting some Chris Cornell in this. What? No, this that's just cool. Sign me up. I'll take it. <laughs> I, I mean, it's rainy outside. Kind of looks like Seattle out there. Sure, let's go with that. It might um, as well be. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and thematically it works as well. But just just a cool song uh, to do that. I love. I did want to mention. I love how this movie starts with a baby's heartbeat. Yes. Yes. And just pulls you in. Um, I love the sound effects for the Kryptonian ships. Uh, the swirling sounds you heard by Clark as he's kind of trying to adapt when he's a little kid. Yeah, I love that so much. But I think my favorite sound effect is is just because it's so cool when when he breaks the sound barrier during the first yeah pop. <laughs> Every time, we'll never uh, we'll never get over how great that sounds. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's a, I remember they had said that his flight was going to be much more violent in this film that we had not seen that yet, and so yeah, it it is. It's I mean it's realistic. I mean, guy going that fast would definitely break the sound barrier. Yeah. <laughs> um. And I also, to your point too, I love the um, the heartbeat too. Um, it, it's it's the first sounds of this extended universe that they were trying to create, which centers Superman at the heart of it, right? It's he is he's the first things that you hear. It is it puts the Superman character first and foremost at at the top of the trinity, if you will. I mean, this character is going to be a through line through what was supposed to be the five film mark, and hopefully we get it one day. But you know. We'll manifest great, it. <laughs> that's, manifest it, baby. That's a great catch. Yeah, like that he is the heart of this universe for sure. That's that's a good catch. Um, uh, we we do get a Wilhelm scream too. I have to. Point yes, out. yes, there is certainly. It. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> poor that poor guy gets <laughs> caught <laughs> off of there. Um, I don't know if you mentioned this or not. Sorry if I missed it because I got caught up in the in the heartbeat of it all. But uh, if you, did you mention the the world engine sound? The I did not. So well, thank you for bringing that in. Yeah. That was yeah. That's uh, whatever the woo. <laughs> it is. It uh, it loves destroying my uh, my surround sound system here, uh, much to my wife's chagrin. <laughs> yeah, sound design is amazing in this film. Um, there's also um, in addition to Chris Cornell, Alison Crow, uh, who is in uh, does the credits for Zack Snyder's Justice League, the end credits, the Hallelujah song. She does the. Uh, the cover of Ring of Fire, but Johnny Cash at that bar that Clark works at at the beginning nice. too. So another through oh, that's line. cool. Yeah, very cool. Speaking of through lines, um, I always forget that there's like TV and radio exposition about what Superman should do mm-hmm. in this. You see, um, what is it? Woodburn, I think that's that's how you say his name. Yeah. Uh, the the blogger guy is talking a little bit about you know whether he should you know he should give himself up, which again that leads right into where we're at with with BVS. Uh, I mean, there's the, the probably one of the best scenes. And I mean, of course, I could talk to the hills run right about BVS, too. Um, 
since these films literally are sequels to each other. <laughs> uh, there's that great sequence there where they kind of talk about the mythos of Superman and is he needed? Is What does this do to our psyche? They literally talk about what would happen in the real world. Like this is the most realistic thing possibly that I could ever think of because of this movie is how the media would react to it. Right. And I think it's Chris Rose or Charlie Rose. Oh, someone, someone that's a famous uh, journalist talk, talks to um, the Senator. Fortunately, I don't remember her name off the top of my head. And he's like, must there be a Superman? And she's like, well, there is, what are we going to do about it? Right. <laughs> it's, it's too late now. It's already a paradigm shift in the world. Like we can't go back to a time where there wasn't Superman. It's too late now. The meta humans exist. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting that that becomes the you know the crux of of BVS and it he'd already laid the groundwork here. If you've been paying attention, that we've already started that that argument. You know, he is not universally accepted, even in this film. Nope, nope. You know, and you, you have Perry White talks about it too. You know, he literally you know, says there. What could you imagine what the what the people would do if they found out about this guy? And then, of course, the fir- literally the first text of BVS: mankind is introduced to the Superman. Yeah. <laughs> There you go. What does that do? Creates creates a, a Bruce Wayne that goes off the red goes off the rails. I'm so excited. Um, there is also some great voiceover in this. I want to point out too that you have a couple. I like how uh, Lois's newspaper story starts as voiceover mm. uh, and then turns into dialogue, which is kind of a cool editing bridge. That's just always kind of a fun thing to do. I'm always like, oh, this is interesting. It's voice. Oh no, she's actually talking to to Perry the whole time. Uh, but again, going back to first flight, because we're going to just keep talking about that. Jor-El <laughs> talking to Kal-El about how his powers work as he's getting ready to fly for the first time. And, you know, we'll get to dialogue here in, in just a minute. But that whole that whole speech, man, if that doesn't because I've heard people say, you know, this movie, you know, those Christopher Reeve movies were inspirational. And I agree that they were. But then to say that as a negative for this film, as it's not inspirational, I'm like, did you watch the same movie I'm watching? I'm literally an example of how inspiring this film is. I would not be where I'm at today if it were not for it. I'm going to make that period right there. <laughs> That's so much. So uh, anything else sound or do you want to move down to performance? I mean, the only thing in sound that I would really say is, um, and it's kind of also based off of performance too, where the pe- the yells that people have in this film are, and the screams are very believable, right? So anytime that Clark is yelling, um, I think of him on the oil rig, holding it back, pushing his limits, right? Testing himself. That yell that he has, I believe it. I believe it. I believe his scream at the end when after he breaks Zod's uh, breaks Zod's neck. Spoiler alert to anybody that hasn't seen the end yet. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, his his, I mean his his performance there is great too. But that scream that he has is so believable. Um, so that, and then of course, Zod also has a ton of screams throughout the film. Yeah, he does. <laughs> uh, very believable, uh, understandable uh, across the board there. Great work by the team in both the sound design of those and how they mix it against the, the music and the other noises going on in the background. But all that's great. Yeah, I, I agree. And he has that great scream too right before he takes out the world engine. It's got that same. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. You got to push through it. Yep. Great. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to make the point. I was going to make the point later, but I'll make it now that I think on this watch that what I came away with is is that Superman's greatest power is his will in this film. Yes, yes. Um, I mean, I'm going to spoil my... It's a great point to say this right now, Craig, so I think I'm going to say this now. I should have said this in my overall thoughts. I was going to maybe save it to the final thoughts, but this is the point where it should be said, I think, is that 
I'm not comparing whatsoever Superman 78 to this film. They're both great in their own regards. Enjoy them for every aspect of their being. I remember the tagline of Superman 78 being, you know, it's the film that makes you believe a man can fly. Where Man of Steel, to me, makes you believe that a man can do anything. Love it. Yeah, I mean, I love both movies. I watch both versions, and I appreciate both versions. So, yeah, we're, no, we're not trying to put down 78 at all. Absolutely sure. not, no. Yeah, there's room. There's definitely room for multiple iterations of the character, for sure. So, dialogue. I had a hard time picking. I, I, I probably picked. So, do you have a couple of lines that... I know it's going to be hard, but do you have a, one or two lines that you have in this film? <laughs> let me uh, let me score, score, scour through my literal page and a half that I took here. Yeah, um, that's about what I have to. Literally, I mean, like, we, we've barely touched upon Jonathan Kent, too. Pa Kent, uh, Kevin Costner is just absolutely fantastic in this film. And literally, every time he speaks, it's a great line of... What can I take away from this? What is the lesson to be learned here, right? People are afraid of what they don't understand. I have to believe here that you were sent here for a reason. You're going to have to make a choice to stand proud in front of the human race or not, right? And the, can I just pretend, keep pretending that I am your son? You are my son, right? Just oh, my gosh. Every time. My heart every time, yeah. <laughs> um, make a world better than ours, Cal, right? All this, the belief that they had, that his family, both real parents and adopted parents have in this in this child to believe is great. Uh, of course, the exposition for Jor-El to Clark and the, and the I guess, the, the Kryptonian ship, technically the Fortress of Solitude in a way, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are as much a child of Earth now as you are of Krypton. You can buy the best of both worlds, a dream that your, your mother and I dedicated our lives to preserve. Um, all the stuff, uh, the symbol of ho- the House of El means hope, embodied with that hope is the fundamental belief, the potential of every person to be a force for good. That's what you can bring to them. You will give the people of Earth an ideal to strive towards. They will race behind you. They will fall. They will stumble. But in time, they will join you in the sun. You will help them accomplish wonders. I mean, yeah, I can't I can't I, I couldn't write anything better myself if I wanted to. <laughs> I just uh, yeah, I, I want to run through a brick wall now. I mean, keep testing your limits. It's literally another line of the only way to know how strong you are is to keep testing your limits. And I think to to myself all the time, it's like, is this the best I can do in life? No, I can do better. I have to keep pushing myself. There is no reason to be stagnant in life. Just keep testing your boundaries, pushing your limits, trying something new, going beyond your comfort zone and all that. I love the scene with the, 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 the pastor, uh, where he's like, sometimes you have to take a leap of faith. I don't know if the, if I don't know if Zod can be trusted, but I don't necessarily know if humanity can be trusted either. And he's like, well, Make a choice and take a leap of faith and see what happens, right? Um, that's all great. I, I I couldn't give enough props to Michael Shannon as General Zod in this film. He gives such a gravitas to that character and that role that only, I think, he can provide. It's literally, he lives in, in both the dramatic and the melodramatic the entire time, right? Uh, where did you train? On a farm? Yeah. <laughs> Just, I yeah. exist only to protect Krypton. That's what you've taken away from me. Yeah. Uh, this man is great. Uh, I, and of course, the, if you love these people, you can mourn for them. As he's saying, Zod, stop. And then he says that great line that I say to my wife all the time. Never. Right. <laughs> so, so much, so much to unpack here. And I, I do think that I love what you said, that he kind of borders on melodramatic. And by it's... It's so close to the line of melodramatic, but he 
imbues it with such realism, verisimilitude, that's for Dan, yes. yeah. um, that you buy it. You, I don't feel like he's hamming it up. He is chewing nope. the scenery for sure, but it feels authentic. 100% agree. 100% agree. So, so many, I, some of the, the issues I think um, that a lot of people have kind of come in some of the dialogue we've referenced and, and will continue to reference. So this is a good time to kind of address those things. But uh, the first line, it's early in the film that, and I remember the way I felt when I heard this. And so I had to write it down when, when they're getting ready to send baby Cal into the ship and, and his, his mom says, he'll be an outcast, a freak, they'll kill him. And then the way that Jorel just says, how? It'll be a god to them. It just he, that's just enough of a beat between, between <laughs> the how that I'm just like, yeah, he's Superman. They can't do that. And what are they like, gonna yeah. do? Yeah. What are they gonna do? And then he'll be a god. To them. Yes, yes. Um, but I wanted to address that. I know, right? Uh, the thing that uh, the Jonathan Kent says. Um, first off, you know, it's after the bus, and this is I know this is a sticking point for a lot of people. Clark says, "What was I supposed to do? Let him die." And he says, maybe, but there's more at stake here than our lives or the lives of those around us. And I've heard a lot of people talk about how, you know, this is kind of, they're being ambivalent toward saving people and it's giving him bad advice. And, but what's interesting in that scene, I think, and I got this in, in, in um, body language as well, is you see him rocking back and forth. He is not sure. He's not saying, yeah, absolutely save those kids. But you know, as a parent, and I think that's the way you kind of have to look. You, it's a realistic, and that's the thing. It's funny. It's it's very similar to like, you know, the the relationship in Attack of the Clones, for instance, between Anakin and Padme. Mm-hmm. Like that's how teenagers talk to each other. You may not. It's it's too realistic. Some people make someone comfortable. Agreed. Yeah. If that if that was your kid, and it was like, I may have to sacrifice my son. I don't want to do that. Like I'm sorry, but my son comes first. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're hundred percent right in that, Craig. I mean, it's not like he's saying don't save the kids. He's also not saying save the kids, right? It's 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 a maybe. He is not a hundred percent sure in the moment of what should be done and what shouldn't be done, right? It's one of those it's that gray area of he doesn't know. I mean, this is a whole new right. existence. This is the first Kryptonian he's ever raised, right? You know <laughs> this, this is new for everybody. This isn't standard territorialism, right? This is uh Typically, in in any other instance, those kids would go in there and all they would all drown, right? So this is all new, all new territory for everybody. So it's a parent yeah. saying like, "I don't know, I don't have an answer here. You're putting me on the spot, frankly." Yeah, and you have to take him in context, you know. There, there, because there's several. You mentioned the thing about, you know, he sent you for a reason, Clark. You know, there's m- multiple things about you got to find your purpose. His job is to get Clark, and ultimately he does on the right path, so that you know he can save the world, not just you know, I mean, it's sounds horrible to say that, right? But it's like you you have so much bigger things that you have to do. Absolutely, and then you yeah. Get, yeah. So you got think about the larger that, picture. <laughs> exactly, and you get this in BVS as well as a through line. You know, he talks about you know saving the horses and all of that things. Like, there's going to be consequences to no matter what you do. It's always a cost to everything, literally. So, um, I'm just scrolling through. See, you took most of my good ones, but that's fine. <laughs> um. I love the line. I just love the line. My father believed if the world found out who I really was, they'd reject me out of fear. I absolutely believe that would happen in real life. hundred percent. BBS. Like how, would you, how would you know? Right? <laughs> they do. They do reject him out of fear in a way. Yeah. Some do, some don't. Right. It's one of the, it's that paradigm shift of people don't, uh, they don't, they, they don't, uh, if they don't understand it, people are afraid of it. Right. So yeah. that's literally what happens in BBS. 
Lex Luthor sees this god up in the sky <laughs> that challenges him, that questions him. Bruce Bruce Wayne sees him as a threat, right? There are all yeah. these different people that don't see him as the shining god that he could be. Uh, and I did want to talk about I want to talk about Zod's death a little bit. I think this this is a good time as any. And and you have uh, it's it's earlier in the fight. It's when they're actually going through Metropolis. Which by the way, this is come back to that. We'll come back to that. Um, <laughs> he says this. There's only one way this ends, Cal. Either you do, either you die or I do. And so when you get to the part, because I've heard this as, as the argument, you know, when he's he's got his arms around around Zod's neck and Zod is threatening that family. And he's like, well, he could have just covered his eyes or any number of other things. Sure. Zod has said repeatedly he's not going to stop. Feora said the same thing, too. If this doesn't end here, it's not going to end ever. Exactly. I mean, there's it's not like there was a better option, frankly, on the table. Right. The Phantom's drive has already been taken off the plane. Right. If he'd have went in there with the, the rest of the Kryptonians, then... We're not having this discussion right now, but yeah. he's literally going to murder a family of what three or four right, right then and there. And how many other lives is he going to take out after that? Right? It's just going to keep going. And and you know this is where it gets into the gray area. Here's this is a choice that Clark has to make in this moment. It's an act of war. General Zod is not going to relent whatsoever he's as you said he's made it very clear this is there's only one way that ascends you die or i do right and i get the you know maybe that's the only criticism that maybe i understand from people is that you know as superman he could potentially find another way right there's always another option than that he could have talked to him i heard some people say like yeah because i would have been definitely reasoned with at this moment in time right um but at the same regard this is literally the first day or two that superman has literally revealed himself to the world tested out his powers and has gone toe-to-toe against someone with the same abilities that he has so he doesn't really have a lot of practice or on-the-job training to to you know to be this actualized hero that we should be this is literally day one day two if you will so maybe we should cut cut him a little bit of slack here. It's not like it's a decision that doesn't have absolute ramifications for the rest of the DC universe too, as we'll see in BVS. Like this is a clear choice that weighs on his conscience. He makes the choice. It affects him right then and there, right? He is now alone as the only Kryptonian left on this planet in the galaxy. As far as we know, he, he chose humanity. This is literally a, a moment that is a paradigm shift again, where he is saying, I am, choosing the people of earth i'm rejecting the colonist ways and the the destruction of earth in in way for krypton i'm siding with these people i'm going to be their protector this is the sacrifice that i must make in order to do so and who's to say that 18 months plus later when bbs takes place right he could have he does he learns from that experience i think when he decides i'm not going to just and Bruce Wayne, Batman, in the fight here. He could have done that at many times, right? But he chooses to reason with him. He chooses to find that aspect of connection between the two of them that he's able to make Bruce Wayne see the light again, right? That I feel like there's a connect through line between those two actions that leads to the improvement of his character arc as he's learned and grown as the character and become more sure of himself. Yeah, that's great. I, I love that. There's a... 
there's a great article and it's if it came out in in 2013 about ign the complexity of man and steel and i'm going to put that in the show notes it's it's something i've gone back and, and reread multiple times which talks a lot about that it's definitely a positive review of man of steel uh, and talks specifically about those type of choices and why it's interesting. You know, they the, the argument for Superman against Superman many times is how hard he is to write. You know, because he is all powerful. So mm-hmm. you you have to put him in situations where it's an impossible situation. And I've heard the argument too. It's like, well, he should have never been put in that situation. Like, pick one. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things happen. You can't really go back after that. <laughs> yeah, and and then uh, you know I've had this argument online many times just because it's fun to do. I'm just like you know we killed Zod Superman too, so we you know. I would say Christopher Reeve isn't yeah opposed to killing people either or turning back time in order to make sure his girlfriend can live. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I just I I remember again you, you kind of go to the emotional response too. I remember going. I went in spoiler free. Saw that fairly. I think it was it had been out for a couple of weeks. Um, so I'd heard the buzz and was excited, but I remember just being blown away by that moment. Like he, he has to live with that now. And like, mm-hmm. Oh wow. That was a moment that just resonated because you can see on immediately on his face and we can move down in, in facial expressions too with that a little bit. He is in torment from that. He feels horrible about that. And so that's yeah. the thing that just makes me laugh when people are like, yeah, but he just killed Zod. And didn't, like he didn't want to even after the fact he's immediately filled with regret. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How how realistic is that? Like this, we do this thing. We do these things all the time. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, I mean that's you're absolutely right there. The performance is it's the details are in that performance there. There's, I think you and I are both on the same page when it comes to the the choice of Zod there. <laughs> yes. Just watch the film again, people. If you've only seen it one time, it's it's absolutely worth a rewatch. It's definitely worth your time. Easily easily accessible, I'm sure. Absolutely, uh, it's, it's two hours that'll zoom by. As far as I'm concerned, I said, wow, yeah. I'm at the end already. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the last line I'm going to throw in is is the last line of the film um, where Lois says, welcome to the planet, which is a great pun. Hey, glad to be here, Lois. And he gives a big smile because Superman never smiles in this movie, right? Well, there's another one. Whoa, whoa, whoa there, Craig. I counted. <laughs> oh, excellent. Let's do it because we're down to facial expressions. I, How many? I, I counted seven smiles in the film. <laughs> so... That that puts to bed that that he doesn't smile at all in the film. There are constant smiles throughout the film. Now it's not every other sentence, <laughs> right? This is a different interpretation of the character, but there there are several smiles, several smiles. <laughs> we get a smile counter officially. There you go. I was literally every time. Boop boop. <laughs> nice. Um. So what else do you have for body language, facial expressions? costumes hair and makeup any of those things that are yeah so body language here something that we really say is to the performance of henry cavill too and also to the approach that they took with this character in this iteration of uh, the superman mythos and story i'm not knocking again this is not a knock to the donner superman but they made a clear choice that clark kent and kal-el are two different people in that, at least in my interpretation of how that is done, it's clear that he's different posture, different presentation, the voice changes, and all that. They're they're two different people, or it's a different persona, right? Clark Kent and Kal El in this iteration are one and the same. There, there's very, if at all, there's minimal differences between the two of them. It's the same person, and I I actually appreciate that approach more. It's something that resonates with me a lot better. Um, so I will say that in terms of the body language, it's consistent throughout between either being Clark or Kal-El. Um, 
So that's great. I also will say that like I love this this Superman costume. I love the the S specifically. The the outfit looks modern, looks realistic. It looks from a culture too that is alien in a way. Um I love I love this suit absolutely. This is I don't I it's hard to rank the uh the Cavill suits because I think BVS is very great. There's only minute differences between them. The color is a little different. I believe there's like a little shading of blue on the outside of the S. And of course, Zack Snyder's Justice League is a is a black suit. So, you know, that's a character-driven moment to choose that suit. So, right. I can't really compare the two of them. But in terms of how this suit looks, I think this is fantastic, and it, it may actually be my favorite Superman suit if you compare all the iterations that have been put to to screen one way or another. So that's great. I love the 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 outfits really of the uh, the Council of Krypton. <laughs> yeah. That is a really great way to represent such a different culture from ours, yet one that is grounded in so much history as, as we're led to believe Krypton is. Uh, there's definitely a real culture that has existed for a while in that one. So I mean, of course, an alien world, yet it feels something that. It could have existed in our world in a way. It's 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 a very weird dichotomy of that that really speaks to me for some reason. So I'll take it. Um, and the the outfits too of like the like in, in Smallville, right? It feels something that like you know I grew up in Central Pennsylvania, which honestly doesn't look too much different from Smallville, if you will. It's very much farmland, and the people wear very similar outfits. So I felt like I was literally back home again when you see those smallville sequences people are wearing these flannel jackets and outfits and their car hearts and their hats that have no branded names on them they're wearing their boots it's it's really excellent so the, the kudos to the, to the team around i don't know if it was michael wilkinson that did uh, the outfits for this one or not i know he does the later films but whoever did this initial one is is, is really excellent yeah, yeah, no, you, you, Michael Wilkinson, you called him out, who, who also worked on, you know, done a bunch of Snyder stuff, did Watchmen, Sucker Punch, um, BVS, did Justice League, also worked on uh, Aladdin, which is, that's a weird pull, um, Tron Legacy, and then he, James he Ad- did, Yeah, he did one recently that I saw, and I was like, oh, Michael Wilkinson. <laughs> yeah. And then also you have James Atchison, who did worked on the uh, Sam Raimi Spider-Man trilogy. So, oh, well, perfect. Uh, I mean, that kind of fits as well. There's a lot of similarities texture-wise, especially in those two suits. You're absolutely right. That's that's on point. I didn't even know that connection, so now I'm going to never not see it. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. It's red, blue, and yeah, yeah the same thing. Um, I also, uh, I've always loved that Clark wears a Kansas City Royal shirt. Because yes. it totally humanizes him. Oh my gosh, Craig, you are. I mean, we'll talk. I mean, we can talk about that world building later on. But there's him wearing. We'll, we'll talk about it later. But yeah, the royal okay. shirt. We'll put a pin on that one. That's okay, great. we'll put a pin on that. So I also want to point out um, that Zod's hair is very Caesar-esque, right? He looks like a, a Roman general. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I love the, kind of, the 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 undergoat too. <laughs> yeah, got that too. That's fun. Um, and then I, I the scene. Oh, this is another one, okay? We got to talk about Jonathan Kent puts his hand up in that look of resignation when the tornado's coming, and that was another one that I was like, "Oh, this is how they're gonna do this," and I'm totally fine with it. I mean, it's it's rough, and I get why people have an issue with it, but what what's your take on that? Look, I I, I like this iteration of how he unfortunately passes. This is an example again. I mean, it's very similar to what I the way I explain this to people is like 
do you like the Steve Trevor death in Wonder Woman? <laughs> right. Where it's very similar to like, you can save the world, but I can save today or something, whatever the line is. It's, it's, it's the same like idea, right. Where yeah. he's saying like, I can, in a way, Jonathan Kent is saying like, humans can still do miraculous things. They can save things, right. It doesn't have to be all on your shoulders. So I think that's the important lesson. Of course, there's also the fact that he's, he doesn't think his son is ready yet. There's, it's clearly, and and it's not just ready yet to to do the things. He's clearly ready to to like spring out, save people, be super strong, and all that stuff. But can he handle the emotional baggage that comes with it? Can he handle a thousand reporters hunting him down, trying to find out his story? Can he handle the military coming after him in order to like prick his blood and the skin and and figure out every minute detail about him? Is he really prepared for that? As they literally just had this argument in their car as he's Clark is like 18 at this point or something like that. He's clearly a teenager that is going through teenage emotions like normal teenagers do. Is is I don't think based off of the character that they showed up to that moment in time is absolutely ready to handle all those real world instances, which is why he's 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 harking this point. You're not ready emotionally yet for this. Physically, yes, but emotionally you're not you're not at a place yet, and that's that's the fine line the parents have to draw all the time is have I done enough to prepare my 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 child for the real world? Are they ready to be on their own yet? And I think to that point he's he's saying like i I don't think he's ready yet, but there's that calmness where I feel like at the, after he knows what's going to happen, there's a clarity where he's like at least in the performance that I understand from Kevin Costner's face there he's he, I think he's at peace with the way that he's He's letting his son go. He knows that he's there with Martha. They're both safe. He will have someone to carry on with him. He's done it all he can do at that point in time to pass on his wisdom. It will take some more time, of course, in order for him to actually become the person that he wants to be. But I think that's a very important point that and then and literally too, I don't think that it's it's such a moment for debate. Because Clark literally says, What do you think later on? Like, do you think he was right? Do you think he, he he stood by his beliefs up until the very end? What do you think? He literally is looking at the audience, almost at the camera, just a little off center. But he's asking the audience, what do you think? It's literally asking the audience to engage with this question, engage with, think deeper about the theme and what it means to be a parent and what it would be for a person with this extra powerful strength and ability. And, and what would it mean in our real world today? It just, it begs the question. I'm so glad I had you on the show, dude. I've never heard. <laughs> no, seriously, I've never heard that argument, though, that, you know, that he is not emotionally ready. But I think that there's a reason that we see that scene play out the way we do. We have the context, which, again, great performance from Cavill, dude, pitching his voice up like that. Yeah. The hair yeah. is much longer, too. He legitimately looks significantly younger mm-hmm. than he does throughout most of the film. That kid, that immature kid who wants to fight over farming and who he belongs to and you know, just trying to shirk his responsibility. And then immediately after we're dealing with this. Yeah, that's the context. It matters. It does. Absolutely. They wouldn't have showed it if it didn't matter. So there you go. Think that through there. <laughs> there you go. Uh, it, oh, I wanted to mention too the suit. I, I was going to say anything else, but I have one last thing on the suit. Uh, this was another gripe that people, well, how does he have his suit on the scout ship? And it's like, did did you watch the film? Because we've just explained through the exposition that the House of L are the explorers. So that's a House of L suit that's on the explorer ship. 
just happens. That's the ship that he found. Those are that's his people that were on there. There's tons of those S suits because that's you know his family. It's his family crest. I'm saying who's the uh, the open casket, right? They uh, they kind of lean heavily yeah. on. I think is in a, a prelude comic to BVS that they did in some like cereal box or something like that that yeah. announced it was like Supergirl or something like that. A so cousin perhaps. Yeah, yeah. We still haven't it. found, but that might be out there. Someone out there, maybe hiding. Maybe she saw the the message from Zod, "You are not alone," and said, "Whoop." <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, anything else for performance uh, before we talk about setting and design? Nothing. I mean, I think we've talked a lot about the two dads, but I think um, Martha Kent, uh, Diane, Diane, uh, Diane Lane, is yep. um, really warm in her in her. Um, performance as, as Martha that leads through to the other films as well. I like that the scene in the beginning where she's like, just kind of focus on me, Clark, that, that warmness, right? It's, it's what I would want if I was in that situation, right? That's, she does a great job portraying a wonderful mother. Yeah. Yeah. She's great. Uh, and that's such a, that's such a heartbreaking scene, but it's so, it's so good. Uh, as far as setting the design goes, um, we basically have Chicago standing in for Metropolis, which it also kind of stood in for Gotham. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have Vancouver uh, standing in for Alaska slash Canada. And then you have Illinois uh, for Smallville. When you have that farmhouse that they built, that's all weathered. And love how that just looks lived in. It's it's so great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um I literally took a note here that says uh, the corn is not something to be taken lightly in this film. <laughs> it is as much a part of the DNA of this film as anything else. It is. It literally goes through the the planting of the seeds to the to the growth to the to the harvesting. So it's it's literally the the journey of this film. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, you mentioned the uh, the stained glass window. I had that as well. You have you know Jesus in the Garden of, of Gethsemane having to make a choice. Where Clark's having to make a choice. Uh, uh, very much on the nose but I, you know i don't mind that I, it's it's hammering that home it's a christ-like figure i mean what what yeah. more can we do folks <laughs> yeah in case you weren't noticing yeah uh, i love the uh the exposition wall that's what i'm going to call it um we're telling you know oh the, yes yeah <laughs> kind of the background of krypton in, in a very organic way uh, really all of the what's called I, I believe it's called the liquid geometry mm. uh, which is kind of like the little beads moving all over the place uh, just a fantastic design i think just very alien but also kind of familiar at the same time um and then one thing that i really liked a lot was the the military computer showing the diagram how the world engine works Mm. that was just very you know you kind of have to explain quickly like what's happening with that and that that graphic just really worked for me absolutely absolutely i uh, 100 percent agree on all that stuff uh, as far as as far as props go, um, you have some great product placement of the uh, the Nikon D3S camera, which you can see the the label multiple times. Hey, um, I really like the Codex skull. That's yes, super cool and instrumental. A great little you know addition I thought to the Superman mythos, where you have you know, and I'd heard some rumors about this that even amongst his own people that he'd be unique. And so to to play that angle of you know he's the first natural child born in centuries, which I think a really interesting interesting twist that we had look it's a it's literally a physical representation of both the hopes and dreams of krypton living within clark and i love what it stands for and i love that 
literally Krypton. He is Krypton. He is the last son of Krypton. But he's also a son of Earth just as much as he is of Krypton. So he is the blending of two worlds together. Yeah, yeah it's it's not just metaphor. It's, there's also some some literal there as well. Um, anything else for for props? I always like the alert on the copy machine. Is that kind of misdirected? <laughs> kind of yeah, yeah, that's a go. good one too. Um, I do like the change for the command key um, being just like a little piece rather than the huge crystals that they use in the the Donner um, films. I I do like that difference a lot. It seems more realistic to me <laughs> than hauling around some big big uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> big crystals. <laughs> um, I do like that a lot, and the fact that it has like the the Superman S on it, very tiny, and whatever the the. The, like the AI thing that also follows them around. I like that thing too. It also defends yeah. the ship, whatever that's. I don't know off the top of my head what it's called, but it makes a couple of uh, comebacks in the other two films. <laughs> Kelex, I think. Kelex, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. I was, by, I was yeah. trying to say Codex or something, but it's, I know it's not Codex because that obviously. Uh, well, there's Kelex. I think Kelex, there's two of them. There's Keylor and Kelex. I think Kelex is, they're both vo- voiced, uh, voiced by Carla Gugino. Uh, who's done yes. several Zack Snyder yes. films. I think it's Keylor is the one on Earth and Keylex is the one that's on Krypton. But ah, uh, gotcha. Just different iterations of the same same thing. The same uh, tool to the means to the end. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mentioned that he was wearing that royal shirt. He's also drinking a beer. Which he does. Again, he goes for the Budweiser. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's you know he's probably right in the middle of Anheuser-Busch country. So As he's literally watching a University of Kansas football game. <laughs> Love, just those little details. I I love that really hum, humanizes him. Again, we're gonna we're we're gonna get to world building in a second. I got a lot of this stuff. Beautiful. Okay. <laughs> um. So let's talk about. Let's see if there are any characters. Well, we didn't talk about. There's lots actually. Um. I wrote uh, down everyone that has meaning. I guess I would say, or I define yeah. as meaning in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Anchitroa, and I had to look up how to say that name. Anchitroa. She plays Fiora. Um, I was fascinated by the fact that uh, Gal Gadot was offered the role at one point. Yeah, and then she Zach said, I got a better idea for you. <laughs> yes, that would have been awesome. Uh, Islet Zarar, or Zarar, who plays uh, Laura, Laura, Laura Van. That's an interesting last name. Uh, Clark's, Clark's mom. I remember hearing, she does a great job. She's fantastic in this too. But uh, as, a, as yeah. a footnote, Connie Nielsen at one point was going to play that role, which would have oh. been a cool like, gladiator reunion. Um, but of course, she shows up as as Hippolyta in Wonder Woman too. So I think they both did uh did better doing the roles that they did. So I agree, it works out well. Uh, I love Christopher Maloney in this. Um, that line, I don't care what you tell him, still slays me. A good death is its own reward. Yeah, that too. Russell Crowe, of course. Harry Lennox is fantastic as Martian Manhunter, who we don't know yet. General Swanwick at this point. Oh man, he's so good. Um, <laughs> and then Richard Schiff, man. Speaking, of, you know, I know you're a West Wing guy. That's right. That's so, right. Uh, he comes, uh, he comes in as a Doctor Emil Hamilton. <laughs> so good, so good. Um, yeah, I think that's about all I had from from the main guys. Do you have anything else character-wise that you wanted to mention that we hadn't really talked about? Um, we've touched upon him a little bit here, but I just want to give Perry White his due. Um, Lawrence Fishburne has a uh, has that uh, incredible character and and what he the the realism that he adds to this film too. We've talked about that scene a little bit where he's, he's uh, already said to, to, to Lois, I, I believe what you saw, but I'm glad that you're dropping this. <laughs> um, that's great. And I also love that he um, stays with Jenny 
um, when all hope is almost seemingly lost, like she's like, "You're not alone here. I'm with you to the end." Where he's he could have he could have just let see see ya bye I'm going, <laughs> but he he stays with her. He holds her hand. They're both together through thick and thin. It it just shows the strength of humanity, I think, in a way. Yeah, and he gets a, a moment of of heroism there that you get to see some you know, some humans that are stepping up in in those moments as well. Definitely, yeah. Uh, another quick little um, kind of Easter egg too. You have. Uh, Christina Wren playing Carrie, who's essentially Carol Ferris, Green Lantern's girlfriends in this movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think that's it for for characters that we we've, we've talked about. Oh, well, we've mentioned um, multiple times the religious allegory. The it's, it's all over the place. Uh, one thing that I was fascinated by, and I I don't think I'd ever heard this, was that uh, this was this movie was specifically marketed to faith-based groups oh they didn't know that they even had a a, a a guy named craig detweiler who worked for pepperdine university he wrote um a superman-centric sermon outline called uh, entitled jesus the original superhero that was to be distributed so that if they wanted to uh to use that in churches that that was something uh something available so kind of hey why not yeah so that was kind of a cool cool little nugget i found uh, but yeah, we talked about like, this is Superman's first day on the job, essentially why Superman doesn't kill, how Superman becomes Superman. It's it's very much hero's journey. Literally. I mean, I know Zach is probably the biggest fan of Campbell next to George Lucas. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is literally not only is this film um, di- di- depicting many aspects of both of the hero's journey and the monomyth, the hero with a thousand faces, overall but we're also in part one of the five film arc that was planned out too which is going to really dissect the hero's journey of clark over <laughs> over the course of many films so it, it's literally at the the heart of it i mean there's the refusal to 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 accept the call there's the call there's all the journey that he goes on the transformations um the the, re, the rebirth the resurgence i mean that's all there in the return home yep Death of the mentor. We have. I mean, it's all there. It's. I mean, several out. deaths of mentors. If you. Yeah. <laughs> that's unfortunate. True. <laughs> it's laid out. It's laid out beautifully. Um. So I think we'll, unless you you want to say anything else about that, we can talk about world building, which it sounds like you've got some stuff. Oh, do I got some world building elements to talk about? Um. Greg, one of the great things about this film to me is that it is literally grounded in what would happen in the real world today right superman has dropped in in 2013 right then and there all the therefore i would expect to see the things that are in the real world in 2013 show up in this film now the cynic of course can say product placement right again at the end of the day a film's got to make money so product placement is a way that you can you know take off some of that budget before you hit cinemas which gives a great leg up for how the film will do successfully but I personally really like those elements because I would expect to see a Sears walking down the street. <laughs> I would expect to see an IHOP, right? I would expect in Smallville, the town very similar to the town that I grew up in, if I didn't have an IHOP or a Sears or the 7-Eleven, right? Those are the things that make it feel like this exists in the day and age that we do now, which I personally really appreciate. Of course, there's the aspects of him watching University of Kansas football game. Of course, a man in Smallville, Kansas, would be both a fan of that football team and the Royals. If he were wearing 
Uh, I know you're a Giants fan. If you were wearing a Giants shirt, I mean, maybe you would hope that Superman's a Giants fan. But really, it would make sense because he probably wouldn't have access to those channels. He probably has like three channels at that farmhouse that he probably only got to watch maybe once a uh, once a month when he wasn't working on the farm. <laughs> I get the sense that Jonathan Kent wasn't allowing him to sit in front of the TV all the time. Uh, and at CNN too, like there's a lot of real world elements that are brought into this film that ground it in the world that we live in today, whereas it complements the things that clearly set this into the DC universe, right? There's Krypton, there's the Phantom Zone, there's uh, Metahumans, there's Lois Lane, there's who's who's the key to all this, if you will. There's the Kryptonian ship, which clearly means we're not alone in this world. There's other worlds out there. It, it expands the universe to a large degree just by existing. Uh, there's the open casket in the ship, right? Supergirl, is she already out on Earth? There's the LexCorp trailer. There's uh, We already talked about General Swanwick as Martian Manhunter. General Zod, there's the, the Wayne uh, uh, satellite, satellite that, that yep. blows up. Yep, the Daily Planet. These are the things that clearly ground, ground it in the DC universe, but it also exists within the world that we live in today, which I think is excellent. Yeah, that's... I, I don't really how, how can I follow that? Um, <laughs> well, part of that I would say too is the fact that you have Lois Lane figuring out who Superman is fairly early on in this film. Like yeah. that's been a thing that people. Well, how could she not? She works with him day by day. No, she's if she's a, any good as a reporter, she would figure that out. The best reporter, Pulitzer Prize winner. <laughs> she lets him know. <laughs> that's the line she tells him. Yeah, so that that made sense too. I, I'd never had a problem with that. So also, her leaking a story to the bloggers, right? Yeah. Real world. This Absolutely. whistleblowers exist in our real world. This is the thing that happens. Publishers are going to have agendas. The media has it's owned by somebody that's you know they're they're saying I should sue you for letting this leak, right? These are real world problems that exist. Now maybe that's a criticism of this film that it's you can't escape from the real world in it. Maybe, but I personally love that. So yeah, take it as you will. <laughs> so uh, final thoughts. Anything else that we haven't covered that we need to talk about regarding Man of Steel? Well, we already talked about how wonderful Lois Lane is. So I'm, I literally have like many things here. That is, uh, let's see, what are some just some, some final thoughts I have? I think yeah, Laura, just... Laura and Jor would have been such great parents. That's a big point I wanted to make here. Um, let's say um, I love that they they hark a lot about Pete. The, the the boy that he saves from the from the from the from the 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 water at first when the the bus goes down right that's a big one that he's literally like a person that is now a disciple a believer in Superman if you will because of his actions right it's not because of how strong he is it's because he went out of his way to help somebody which I think is at the core of of uh, of Superman I love that he's reading Plato in that in that one scene too where uh, the kids are bullied to him and then he helps Pete come back to Pete helps bring him up after afterwards. Right. Um, I love the, cause uh, Plato is uh, known for the allegory of the cave, which is the idea that we are products of, of the world, the environment that we live in. Right. So he's both a product of, of Krypton. So he'll later have those elements brought onto him, but he's also a, a product of earth. Um, so again, coming back to the, I'm the best of both worlds, if you will. Um, the action is just top notch. Again, I think it's some of the best visual the way it's it's choreographed cinematography wise all that it, it set the tone for what the dceu is in terms of fighting style and that's something they really can't get away from which i love so keep giving me more um 
I will say that in, in kind of in closing here, there's a element that I've kind of coined in my household that um, it's a thematic thing that I maybe it's not a thematic thing, but it's just a moment. It's a feeling, right? It's something I call the hero moment where I would define it as it's the moment that you believe through the actions of the character that anything is possible. And there are two in this film that just get me going every time. Of course, one is First Flight that we've talked about. I feel like I can accomplish anything and anything after that moment. And the other is him destroying the world engine, right? Where he's like, I can't, I, I don't know if I can do this or not, but I have to try. And then through all of that, he just somehow fights through that last bit of strength that he has and somehow is able to get through there, even against all the greatest odds. I believe in that moment. I believe in this film. Man of Steel 2013 is 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 really a gold standard. I think that all superhero films should be compared against and even, you know, even expanded to that. I think other films should look towards as example as to how to introduce characters, to how to set a world, to do all that. It's a modern masterpiece. I could not agree more with that. And that's why I'm very excited about the news today. When this is we talked about this a little bit before we came on that we were going to record earlier, but it's worked out. We're recording today. And and today, just a few hours ago, they've announced that Man of Steel 2 is in the works with Warner Brothers with Henry Cavill coming back. And I could not be more excited about that. And Me too. Yeah, yeah it, it's, you know, it's it's basically an open secret at this point. I mean, this is this episode's going to drop on, on Wednesday, uh, the 19th. Black Adam comes out officially on the 21st, and it's pretty much an open secret at this point that Henry Cavill's going to show up in that in that film. Look, I've seen the pictures already. It's kind of hard to escape the internet these yeah. days and not see yeah. it. So, <laughs> yeah, you, t- you talked about whistleblowers and leaks, and I'm pretty sure that the Rock's camp is Dwayne Johnson's camp is is doing most of this leaking. I I've heard some really interesting theories about how that went down with Comic Con and and uh, him strong arming you know Walter Hamada and those guys uh, to get this done. And I could not be happier. I don't care how it gets done. Like, bring the man back. Let's have a proper sequel. Let's get more Henry Cavill as Superman. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this is really the first step in the right direction, uh, in my opinion, as to what the old regime has been doing versus where they're going in the future with um, WBD taking over now, whereas they wanted nothing to do with the Superman character for so long, right? It was headless images. It was... Uh, we're recasting. We're doing a whole new uh, Superman iteration where we're doing this, right? I've seen the articles, five actors that could reboot Superman or something like that. Nope, this is clear that it's Henry Cavill coming back to play the character. And this is really the first step towards towards other things, too. So I, I've made it very clear in this film and this and during this podcast that uh, I love all things, what, quote unquote, the Snyderverse. Um, so this is really a first step to bringing those elements back into the fold. Again, I know Ben has been doing work with uh, Aquaman 2. He's in The Flash, of course. So I really think the sky's the limit to bringing these characters back into the fold. And I think now that we've got some fresh blood into the WBD world here, this is where we'll we'll see things go here, too. So I'd be very interested to see where, timeline-wise, the story takes place for, quote-unquote, Man of Steel 2 or wherever it takes place, right? Because I think we've talked already a lot extensively in this episode as to BVS being a clear move-on, right? The themes that are introduced in this uh, movie move on to the next one. So if this one takes place after Zack Snyder's Justice League, maybe even years beyond, right? That could theoretically take place too, right? It could take place after Justice League 3, 
or whatever comes down the line, right? It could be years in the future. Who knows? The fact that he's back in the fold again is just the first domino, I think, into a larger world that I'm excited to see what happens. Absolutely. Absolutely. Me too. Uh, so, Anthony, um, before I get you out of here, why don't you tell the folks what you guys have going on with Force Ghost Conversations? Yeah, so generally I don't talk uh, DC very often. This is a great to come on here and talk about one of my other passions, definitely the, for this film and for the larger world that it helped to create. But uh, weekly I do a Star Wars podcast called Force Ghost Conversations, and it is a cozy deep dive discussion to anything a galaxy far, far away. So it would be the books, comics, movies, TV series. We're in the middle of Andor right now, so... We've got weekly discussions on each of those episodes doing deep dives. So if you liked what we, uh, Craig and I did here uh, and the analysis that was provided for all that, it's basically what we do over at Force Ghost Conversations. So come check us out over there. We're available on all major podcast sites. And we're also available basically every social media platform you can possibly think of. Just search Force Ghost Conversations and you'll be able to find us. Nice. Yeah, it's a fun show, guys. And if you liked what you heard here uh you'll enjoy force ghost conversations and i'll put make sure i have links for that stuff in the show notes too uh i did want to mention that yes this is actually going to be released uh on our second anniversary which is crazy oh congrats podcast for two years yeah uh so i just want to thank everybody for listening subscribing reviewing liking sharing our posts uh any of those things just keep listening keep spreading the word we got some exciting things coming up uh very very soon that i'll let you guys know about when we get closer to that but um Thank you guys just so much for listening. Uh, if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com. Or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. And if you enjoyed the show, please tell a friend. One last thing. Our next episode will be a review of Black Panther. Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Black Panther, and we'll share it on the next episode. 